This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Well, good morning. My name is Joe Merrick. I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you so much for being here on, uh, like Bill said, this windy, windy day. I, I looked out. It wasn't very windy when I got here this morning, but I looked out as some of you walked in this morning. I saw your hair kind of just straight out the side like that. It's, uh, it's really, really windy out there. But thank you for being here for week number four in our series called Your Part matters. And the premise of the series is really pretty simple. It's almost in the title there. The idea is that in the kingdom of God, every single one of us has a part to play, and they all matter. We've been talking about that for for three weeks now. We're going to continue talking about it today as we look at a person in the Bible who doesn't often get a lot of attention but who made a significant, significant difference by playing his part so well. Uh, uh, Before we do that, though, let me just pause right here and encourage everybody to reach into the seat back in front of them. There, you're going to find one of these Connect cards, and it's our desire to have one of these from every family here today. Uh, If you're new, we certainly want uh, your your information there, Uh, but also uh, um, there are places on the back uh, to uh, mark decisions you've made, prayer requests you've had, other things you want us to know about, uh, we want you to take a a time and and fill that out this morning. And then when the offering bags come by at the end of our gathering, you can drop one of those cards there in those bags. Let's pray today, this morning, before we get started. Lord, as we gathered this morning and we sang praises to you. One of the things that really caught my attention that that we were singing about this morning, God, was that you are active, that you are leading us, that you are directing us, that you are active in our life, that you love us. My prayer this morning is that every single person here know that's true deep in their heart, that they feel you moving and working. And God, that we have the courage, the strength to take a hard look at our life and to see what you're asking us to do, and we take some faithful steps in that direction. In your name we pray, amen. Well, um, when I was a senior in high school, I somehow convinced my poor, poor mother and the school board that they should allow me to graduate early, and I wanted to go stay with a missionary for the last part of my uh, senior year that I knew down in Haiti. This was largely a solo trip, so I had quite a few adventures. One adventure uh, came when a guy from North Carolina, I don't remember his name uh, any longer, but I remember he was from North Carolina. He'd been down there many times before. It was just him and me, and he showed up, and he decided we needed to go get some supplies. 
Now, there were these old army trucks that kind of sat in the corner of the property. I'd been there for a month or more at this point. I had never seen anyone even touch them. He gets a toolbox and some jumper cables, and pretty soon he's got this old army truck running. And so uh, our errand to go get supplies was north of the capital, kind of up in the mountains a little bit. It was a long journey. It was four or so hours, maybe round trip. There was a lot of uh, things to be worried about on the journey. Uh, But before we got uh, really on our way, the first thing we did is we went to the one gas station that we knew uh, that we could trust. It's uh, not an easy thing to find in a third world country like Haiti. So uh, we, we went to this one gas station. We filled up uh, the, these old army trucks. They had dual tanks. So we just filled up gas and gas and gas. I mean, it took forever to get this truck filled up. And then we uh, kind of take off, and we're uh, weaving through some pretty dangerous parts of the country. Neither of us speak the language. Uh, it's just the two of us. We kind of make our way through Port-au-Prince, and we're uh, through the, the worst part of the trip, we think, and we're headed about halfway up the mountain, and that old truck sputtered and died right there on the side of the mountain, and, and we don't know what's going on, because, I mean, a lot of times a car won't start when you go back to it, but once you get it going, you're usually Okay. Wasn't overheated, there wasn't smoke, and uh, we, we kind of pulled off on the side of the road, and it just kind of rolled to a stop. We got out, he's looking under the hood, and, and then I see it. There's this little train that kind of followed everywhere we went of gas. The little hole in the bottom of the gas tank that uh, let all of that gasoline that we had just filled up kind of drain out. And even as we kind of went up the mountains, the last of it, right, it got into the back corner of the gas tank and dripped out. Just let me recap this for you. I'm 18 years old. I'm in a foreign country. I'm with a guy I've only known for a day. Uh, We don't know anyone around us. We don't speak the language. We have no cell phone. Even if we had a cell phone, I don't know who we would have called. We're stuck on the side of the mountain, no gas, nowhere to get gas. I don't remember the last gas station I saw. We quite literally uh, fixed the hole in the gas tank with some gum that I was chewing And then we went on quite a thrill ride as we rolled down the mountain. No gas, sketchy brakes, and at least part of it, I don't remember how long, but at least part of it was backwards. Until we could find a spot to turn around and kind of go down the mountain the rest of the way. We obviously made it back. I'm still in one piece. It was quite the trip, though. Never forgotten it. I share that story with you this morning because I want to make this point. Cars, trucks aren't the only things with gas tanks. You and I, we have gas tanks, spiritual gas tanks, emotional gas tanks, things that kind of get us filled up and things that drain us. 
And sometimes our, our gas tanks, our energy level, it's affected by stress and sleep. But one of the things that we oftentimes overlook, one of the things that fill us up or drain us is the people we interact with. There are people who fill us up, who we walk away from and we feel energized and charged up. And there are people, right? There are people who who love to like pick at the gas tank till there's a tiny little hole and they can just let all that energy drain out. Can see some of you know some of those people. Guess which kind of person God wants you and me to be. He wants us to be the kind of person that fills up those around us. Gregory of Nicaea, an early church leader, used a popular sport of his day to kind of give the same analogy. The popular sport in his day was chariot racing. And he uh, described in great detail the fans that kind of filled the coliseums, that filled uh, the stands, cheering on their favorites. He goes into a lot of detail about how they would lean over the rails, how they would uh, pump their arms and shout at the top of the lungs anything they could do to spur on that, that horse, that rider, to go just a little bit faster so they might win. Then he adds this line. He says, I seem to be doing the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother. While you are competing admirably in the divine race, straining constantly for the prize of the heavenly calling, I exhort and urge and encourage you vigorously. What he's saying is this. As one of the leaders of the early church, as a follower of Jesus, he understands one of his roles is to encourage those around him. He understands one of his roles is to fill up your gas tank, to fill up your emotional, spiritual gas tank. One of the parts that we are all called to play in the body of Christ is that of an encourager. This morning, we're going to look at one man who was known for his encouragement. Known for his encouragement. In Scripture, at first he's called Joseph, but the disciples soon change his name to Barnabas, son of encouragement. We're going to look today, if you're taking notes, at Four distinct ways that Barnabas encourages those around him. Four ways he fills up the tanks of the lives of the people who are around him. Number one is this, giving. The first way that Barnabas encourages people is with generosity. First time that he shows up in the Bible is in Acts chapter 4. This is verses 32 this morning. I'm going to read just down to 37 if you're following along. Acts chapter 4, 32 through 37. 
says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt that they were own, that they owned uh, what they owned was not their own, sorry. And so they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was on them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give it for those in need. For instance, there was this man named Joseph, the one that the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Verse 32 says, all these believers that were kind of gathered around and they were uh, talking about Jesus, they were united in heart and mind. They were the body of Christ. They were together. They were on mission together. And the chief example of their unity was their willingness to share what they had. And the best example that they had of this sharing was Barnabas. Or Joseph, as he was called at the start of the story. Joseph is so moved so moved by what God is doing in the midst of this community, he goes, uh, un, uh, at, not asked, often he sells some land, and he brings back, just kind of put this image in your mind, he comes back with, because there's not checks, right? He doesn't have a cashier's check. He's got a bag of money, cash, he comes back in, and the disciples are gathered around. They're just talking, and he drops the bag of money at their feet. He says, hey, you know how to handle this better than me. I want to just give this to you so you can give it away. What's so powerful about Barnabas' gift isn't just the amount the attitude, the way he did it. There's no uh, pretension. There's no, hey, look at me. There's no, uh, um, hey, the next church building that gets built, could you just name it after me? I, I think it's got a good ring to it. He doesn't want a plaque on the wall. He just says, hey, here it is. He just gives with generosity and love. And this act of generosity is so profound. It, it, it puts such a kind of picture in the disciples' minds of what uh, uh, that life is supposed to look like. They said, hey, we can't call this man just Joseph any longer. Let's start calling him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Son of encouragement because we have been encouraged by him. And right there, the disciples, they draw this line between generosity and encouragement. This line that we know to be true when we are generous, when we are generous with our time, with our resources, with our energy, it is an encouragement to those around us. It's what we see in 
Acts chapter 4. After this act of generosity, Barnabas kind of fades into the background. We've got to assume that he kind of keeps doing what he has been doing, right? He uh, keeps encouraging others in his own special way. But he doesn't get any more mentions in Scripture until Acts chapter 9. We're talking about uh, grace, by the way, now. Second way that he uh, shows shows um, uh, shows how to fill people up is with by extending grace. Acts chapter nine, if you're familiar with it, is all about Paul's conversion. All about the apostle Paul's conversion. And if you know the story, you know it's a dramatic one. Paul, the same Paul who would go on to write so much of the New Testament, who would go on to plant so many churches, make such an impact. Paul, Saul, as he uh, is first referred to, doesn't start out that way, though. He, he starts out hating Christians. He believes it's his mission his mission to, to kind of uh, terrorize this group. He, and, and so he, he terrorizes them. He goes around. He, he seeks them out. He tries to find them. He confronts them. He persecutes them. He has them thrown into prison. He even has them killed. And so when God gets a hold of Paul's life and kind of turns it around in this dramatic fashion and he sends Paul to Jerusalem, he shows up and he says, hey, I'm here. And he wants to talk to some of the disciples. He wants to learn more about Jesus. It doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. It's not a warm welcome. In fact, in chapter 9, verse 26, it says, When he got to Jerusalem and he tried to meet with the disciples, they all think it's a trick. They say nobody will even talk to him. But guess who? Guess who extends some grace? Guess who takes the time, the risk, to listen to his story? Guess who? believes that God really has transformed him and changed him. It's Barnabas. It's Barnabas again. And isn't that something that people who encourage us do? They extend grace to us. They extend grace They see that we're not the same that we once were, that we have the capacity to change, that we have changed. That's what Barnabas does here. We'll never know the answer to this question, but it's an interesting one to think about. What if there was no Barnabas? What if this man who uh, put others first, this guy who kind of was always looking for ways to encourage others, who displayed humility and generosity at each turn, who was quick to extend grace, what if that day he acted like everybody else? Oh, it's got to be a trick. 
He's just going to have us all uh, rounded up and thrown in prison. He's going to have us all killed. I'm not talking to him. We never will know what happened, but I'm sure Barnabas played his part so well that day. He encouraged Paul by extending grace by being the one who was willing to take the step out and have the conversation with them and say, okay, tell me your story. So we've seen how uh, Barnabas encourages those around him by uh, his generosity. We've seen how he encourages those around him, fills people up. By extending grace, third way we see uh, uh, Barnabas working in Scripture, filling people up, is by serving. The next uh, major move in the uh, uh, book of Acts is that some of the believers, some of the believers, uh, they disperse out and some go to Antioch. They begin to preach there. Now, what's important here about Antioch is Antioch is not a Jewish place. It's not a Jewish place. And when uh, the, um, uh, the believers who go there, we don't really even know who they are at this point. The believers who go there, they begin to tell them about Jesus. These people who begin to believe in Jesus, they have no Old Testament knowledge. They have uh, no kind of Jewish heritage. They just believe in Jesus. And nobody back in Jerusalem knows what to do with this. So again, they send Barnabas. Barnabas in Acts chapter 11. This is verses 22 through 26 if you're following along. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and he saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. This is key. Paul leaves Jerusalem, and he goes home. That's where Antioch was, where Paul was from. I don't know how many times I've read this. I never picked up on that before. I kind of always just assume that, uh, that Paul went from persecuting people, uh, persecuting Christians, to uh, spending some time in, in Jerusalem with the disciples. He kind of gets the knowledge that he needs, and then he runs out, and he just starts planting churches and telling people about Jesus. But verse 25 says, Barnabas went to Tarsus. Barnabas went to Paul's home. We don't know what's going on there. We don't know if he went back and he's teaching and telling people about Jesus or he's just kind of in his house by himself. 
And he calls Paul to come with him. He says, let's do this together. Let's do ministry together. One thing is clear, though, here at this point in the story of the early church in the book of Acts, Barnabas is the one that's in charge. Barnabas, is uh, his name is recorded first. It's Barnabas who seeks out Paul, brings him with him. Things continue this way for quite some time. Paul's learning, he's helping, his faith is growing, he's maturing. And then, at some point, Paul really begins to shine. He begins to to shine and his, his preaching, his connection with people, and it becomes apparent, it becomes clear that God is using Paul in some very special way. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 1, something very subtle happens, but it's important. In Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it's the first time in the book of Acts and all of these mentions of Paul and Barnabas, Paul's name gets mentioned first. And the implication here, the implication here is that Paul's now the one leading. Paul's now the one kind of in charge, and he's the one that's out front. Barnabas recognizes the special thing that God is doing in the life of Paul. And he says, okay, I'm going to serve. I'm going to step aside and I'm going to let him shine. I'm going to let what God is doing through him right now, I'm going to let it kind of come to the surface. I'll let Paul lead. It's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to, to step aside It's not an easy thing to not become uh, jealous or resentful, to let somebody flourish. It takes the heart of a servant. That's exactly what Barnabas has here. And so Paul and Barnabas, they go on for some time. Paul leading and Barnabas encouraging talking about de- developing others now, the, the fourth way, fourth way that, um, that Paul pours in, or I'm sorry, uh, Barnabas pours into the life of others. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas now, Paul's out in front, he's leading, he's the one uh, teaching and doing all these things, Uh, and so uh, they go on this great missionary journey, they kind of travel all over the known world, and they take some other folks with them. One of the people they take is Mark, Barnabas's cousin, and he goes with them for quite some time, but at some point, at some point, Barnabas, or I'm sorry, Mark, abandons them. We don't know why, but he just leaves. He, he gets freaked out. He goes back probably to Jerusalem, but he's gone. Paul and Barnabas, uh, they continue, and they go all the way around kind of the known world, and they make it all the way back to Jerusalem. They report to the disciples and kind of the church there. They tell them about all that God has done. 
And then Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's do it again. That was great. Barnabas says, hey, that seems like a great idea. Let's go back and we'll encourage all of the places we've been, the places, the churches we've started. We'll, we'll start new ones. It's going to be fantastic. Just one thing, let's bring Mark with us. Let's give him another shot. Paul says, no way. No way. I, he, he left us. He abandoned us. There's no way I'm going to trust Mark to come with us again. What if we really got into a sticky situation and we had to be together? Barnabas, he, he digs in. He says, he says no, I mean, he's, he's got to come along. Paul, don't you remember when you came to Jerusalem and nobody wanted to talk to you? I was the one who gave you a shot. It's really interesting. It doesn't say in Scripture really that either of them was right or wrong. It just says for the first time they split up. Paul takes Silas and Timothy and Barnabas takes Mark and they go their separate ways. From this point on uh, in the book of Acts, at least it kind of follows, it follows the path of Paul. We hear about how uh, that kind of journey goes. Not much to get said about Barnabas and Mark. But we know that they keep going because we see later, uh, later as Paul's writing to some of the churches, to the church in Colossians, in Colossians, he calls Mark his colleague, his friend, his co-worker, then perhaps in Paul's final letter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Only Luke is with me now. Bring Mark, the same Mark. Bring Mark uh, with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Mark also goes on to write the gospel of Mark. Mark is yet another testament to the power of encouragement. To the power of encouragement. And Barnabas, Barnabas is the special example of what that can look like in our life. What it can look like to pour into others. And God does amazing things. He does amazing things. Isn't it just fascinating how he kind of shows up in all of these special moments in the life of the early church? He's not the main character. He's not the guy that we talk about all the time, but he's there. I think one of the reasons that we see Barnabas pop up again and again in the story of the early church in Scripture is that we can look at his life and how he encouraged others and then we can begin to ask ourselves, how am I doing that for the people around me? How am I encouraging the people in my life? How am I pouring into them? I mean, we saw four really distinct ways. We saw him uh, being generous. We saw him extending grace. We saw him serving. We saw him developing other people, saying, I see something in you. Come with me. I love Pastor John Orberg's kind of imaginative summation of Barnabas, of his ministry of encouragement. This is what he says. Just listen to these words. 
Do you ever think about what folks might say at your funeral? I think about what Barnabas' funeral must have been like. A man gets up to speak. It's the Apostle Paul. Everybody starts uh, nudging with their elbows. Hey, he's famous. That's, that's Paul. He started dozens of churches. He wrote most of the New Testament. Paul begins to say, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death and in prison, and nobody trusted me. Nobody would even talk to me. No one would touch me. But then Barnabas came along, and he put his arm around me. He said, I'll vouch for him. I stand before you today because of Barnabas. A few minutes go by, another guy gets up. It's Mark. He's an old man now. More elbows begin to, to fly in the crowd. Hey, that's Mark. He, he wrote one of the Gospels. He's famous. He says, you know, the truth about me is this. I was a quitter. I ran away from Jesus. I ran away from ministry. But Barnabas wouldn't give up on me. He saw something in me. I don't know why or what, and he took me under his wings, and he said, I'll vouch for him. I'm here today because of a man named Barnabas. Then a guy from Antioch stands up. He says, I, I was a pagan. I was so lost. It wasn't funny. And then I heard about Jesus, and I wanted in. But I didn't know anything about the Torah, about the Old Testament. I could never be Jewish. I didn't fit. But then Barnabas came along. Barnabas came along and he said that Jesus came even for me. And he put his arm around me and he said, I'll vouch for him. I'm here today because of this man, Barnabas. And then an old widow Stand, and she says, I lost everything when my husband died. I had no income. I had young children. I didn't know if I was going to make it. And then Barnabas came along. And without anybody asking, he went off and he sold some land and he gave me the money so I could live, so I could feed my children. I'm here today because of this man. Barnabas. That's the life. That's the life of a man who was never afraid to take the risk of calling out the greatness in others. That's the life of a man who reached so many in his own special way, encouraging them behind the scenes, believing. It's the life of a, a man who knew his part in the kingdom and never wasted any energy, never wasted a moment trying to be somebody else. It's the life of a man who constantly filled up those around him. It's also the kind of man, the kind of woman, God says, hey, we all should be a little bit more like Barnabas. We should 
emulate him in our life. We should be the kind of people who encourage one another, who fill up one another. When we spend time together, that we walk away and say, can you believe that? That was great. I'm so glad I got those 20 minutes. I'm so glad I feel like I have so much more energy, not the kind of people who feel like they suck the energy from us. Let's pray about that today. Lord God, the life of Barnabas is one of those we don't talk about a lot. He's not the main character in the story. He's just kind of always on the periphery. But Lord, as we study and we look at your word, we see how you used him. We see how he encouraged people with his generosity by extending grace. We see how he, he served people and he developed those around us, God. And so this morning, this morning, I think the question we all need to ask is, God, how do I do some of that in my life? There's always going to be uh, some, of those, some of us who that comes more naturally to, who, who that's just kind of part of who we are because we're kind of that Barnabas kind of person. But God, it's something you call us all to, to be encouraging of one another. You call us all to extend grace. You call us all to generosity with our, our resources and our time and our energy. God, you call us to serve, to step aside, to be willing to do that. God, you, you call us to develop those around us. The prayer this morning, God, is as we've read the story, as we've highlighted these portions of scripture where Barnabas shows up, God, that it begins to prick something in our heart. And there are people here who say, you know what? I could give so-and-so a second chance. I could extend some grace. I could serve in this way. God, I pray that maybe there's some people here who, who look around and they see some, some young kids, some, some people who, who they could be developing, encouraging in their faith, in their walk with you. God, you call every one of us to that. It's one of the things that builds the body of Christ. Let that happen in our heart, in our lives church, in our families today. In your name we pray. Amen.